in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today are my good friends and co-hosts from Spokane, Washington, Mr. Brian Fry. How you doing, sir? Doing well, Russ. How are you? I'm good. But wait, there's another co-host and good friend of mine, Mr. Dustin Melbardis. How you doing, sir? I am in such a good mood, ready for this episode, brother. All right. All right. Sounds like things are good in Texas. And let's add a Californian in here. Somebody who did this with us last year from the 2010 top 10 list, Andrew Newman. How you doing, sir? Doing quite well. Glad that I don't have to deal with any cold weather like some of you other folks. Okay, guys, everybody, let's get just just break the ice a little bit. So we're going to go back to the year 2011, and I kind of want to ask you, what's a memorable news headline that sticks with you from that year? Dustin, why don't you take this one first? Yeah, mine was definitely the uh, sort of coming to the, the, the front of public perception was Occupy Walgreens movement, because uh, I've definitely been more of a CVS guy. So the 2011 was such a huge deal for Occupy Walgreens. <laughs> <laughs> well done i like i like that he's got a big grin on his face he knows what he's doing <laughs> and brian what about you what is what was a memorable news headline for you all of the penn state oh no oh no it, it did wrap up in 2011 yes andrew what about you what was a 2011 headline that stuck with you the uh the royal wedding i think in terms of lasting news you know we've still seen them in the news today yeah, and plus, it was a really good feel-good story. Anytime, like, a guy who's a solid two marries, like, a ten, I mean, that just gives hope for men everywhere. So, I mean, all you have to do is be a royal prince. Mine's going to be R.E.M. called it quits. Uh, that was, uh, I, I did not get mm. to see them live, so it was uh, a little bit of sad news for me, but I was still happy for them. They had a great career, so. Was that choice automatic for you? <laughs> for all, well, it's automatic for all the people. Excellent. Oh, that was even better than mine. We're going to be talking about 2011 movies we did watch. Is there one that you wish you had gotten to that you just didn't get to, Dustin? I didn't remember it was from 2011, but I was really amped to see Justin Timberlake-led movie In Time. The concept was everybody dies at a certain age, but with the right amount of money or whatever 2011's version of cryptocurrency was, you can buy more years to your life. And I thought that was like a sick idea. Heard it was bad, never saw it. I will make the effort to see it again. Some or to finally see it sometime. Brian, what's a movie that you didn't get to, but you wish you had? Uh, we need to talk about Kevin. And Andrew, what's a movie from 2011 that you wish you had caught, but you didn't? Midnight in Paris. Ah, yeah, that's a good choice there. I, I still would encourage you to check that one out. It's a charming little movie there. Mine is Limitless with Bradley Cooper. It was all right. You haven't seen Limitless? I did not. I'm quite limited because I haven't become Limitless. <laughs> oh my. Don't oh step my. on his joke. Is all right. oh, you're, dude, you're killing me, Russ. Like, seriously, I'm it's one of the <clears throat> you fry only. All right. Uh, so all right. When I told when I told uh, one of 
Fry and I's mutual friend Mark about this. I was doing the podcast for this. And one of the first words out of his mouth were, didn't Limitless come out that year? And I said, yeah. He's like, oh, that's got him easily be in the top five. Easily in the top it's, five. It's the male Lucy. Way to, way to rub it in then. I liked Lucy. I love Lucy, in fact. Okay. <laughs> Um, it doesn't. It, it it doesn't stop here, folks. So if you're not on board with this, uh, you've got you some splendid to do. Get off the train. I was gonna up. say you added Andrew and Brian together, and now Dustin and me, and this is what you're gonna get this episode. Oh boy! So we're gonna talk about a lot of great movies from 2011 today, but they're not all winners. Dustin, what's a movie that you lament seeing, or was the worst movie that you saw from 2011? I'm gonna answer the question: What's the worst movie I saw? And it is Sucker Punch. I wondered if anybody liked that movie. Uh, it is the I worst movie so much I saw. Right now. <laughs> I'm hoping that you have it somewhere on your list. But yeah, I thought that was the worst movie that I saw. What about you, uh, Brian? What was a movie that you felt was the worst from 2011? The idea that anybody would have Sucker Punch above Green Lantern is... Uh, Gr- Green Lantern was a movie that I had really, really high hopes for uh, resurrecting the DC Universe add in Ryan Reynolds and I was like, oh, this is this is just gonna be great. And then it went then it wasn't. Well wait it so wasn't. But don't we live in a reality where that movie never happened? Didn't Deadpool 2 do that for us? That's yeah. true. Uh, I must be one of those multi-dimensional travelers then. And Andrew, what about you? What was the movie that disappointed you the most from 2011? I'm forgetting the name at the moment, but it's the Nicolas Cage movie where it's called like the Witch something what Season of the Witch. So it wasn't the year of like the world's greatest movies, but I also didn't have that much hate. So Season of the Witch was probably the like worst movie I saw, but I don't think it's actually like that bad. I did watch it and I remember thinking, I'm not unhappy I watched this, but I'm also glad it didn't go to theaters. I feel like I'm a little different than you guys because I listen to when people say that's bad or don't watch it, which is why I did not watch Green Lantern and why I didn't watch Season of the Witch. You guys are ahead of the curve. I rely on you guys. Thank you for saving me from some of these movies. So I just saw my worst movie of 2011 on a flight, which makes it somewhat more palatable. But even being a captive audience, watching a movie that's not of my choosing, it was still the worst movie that I came into contact with in 2011. It is The Three Musketeers from 2011. Ooh, that's a choice. We covered The Three Musketeers from 1993 on our podcast. Check that episode out. That's a very fun movie. But what you should not check out is the 2011 Three Musketeers version by Paul W.S. Anderson. It's bad in lots of ways. It is. If you had to sit me down and you said, pick one Green Lantern or Three Musketeers, that would be a tough choice. Uh, We're getting people a little bit back into it, but here's a recap for the things that happened in 2011. There's an uprising in Egypt, Libya, and Syria. Osama bin Laden is killed. There's a magnitude 9 earthquake that hits Japan, triggering a 30-foot high tsunami, and it kills uh, 22,000 people. That's not fun at all. Uh, Steve Jobs resigns as Apple CEO, and then he dies in October. Prince William and Princess Kate get married. That's good news. Fidel Castro resigns. The Iraq War ends, kind of, or officially ends. (laughs) Uh, The U.S. military policy of don't ask, don't tell ends. And Occupy Wall Street starts in Manhattan, if you didn't get that joke that uh, Justin told a little bit earlier. so uh, Occupy what? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, pop culture, some Game of Thrones premieres in this year. Oprah's final episode was in 20, after 25 years on the air, she, she calls it quits. Charlie Sheen is fired from Two and a Half Men, but he's winning, and he's drinking plenty of tiger blood. And we lose Elizabeth Taylor and Annie Rooney, and Amy Winehouse dies. That's sad. 
Adele has a big year in music. The Foo Fighters have a big year. Bruno Mars, Katy Perry, Fosh the People, Lady Gaga, Black Keys. This is what airwaves of the radio world sound like. And the Green Bay Packers, Dallas Mavericks, St. Louis Cardinals, and Boston Bruins are all champions in their respective sports leagues. With that, let's talk movies now. Brian, can you walk us through the box office winners from 2011? All right, the 2011 box office grossings. All right, so starting at 10, we have Thor, the 9, Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows, 8, Cars 2, 7, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol. At 6, we have Fast 5. I know that's confusing. 5, we have Pirates of the Caribbean (laughs) and Stranger Tides. At four, we have The Hangover Part Two. At three, we have Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part One. At two, we have Transformers Dark of the Moon. And number one, making all the big money for uh, England and for J.K. Rowling, we have Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two, culminating that series. She needs another super yacht. Yeah, big box office returns for these. Now, let's turn to the movies that were more acclaimed and won some awards. Dustin, do you want to walk us through who the big award winners were? Yeah, the the Academy Awards. Best Picture winner was The Artist, um, and this is the only one where I'll say where it beat them out. Uh, it beat out The Descendants, extremely loud and incredibly close, The Help, Hugo, Midnight in Paris, Moneyball, and The Tree of Life. And Warhorse. Best Director went to uh, Michel Havanavicius with The Artist. Uh, Best Actor went to Jeanne Dujardin for The Artist. Best Actress, Meryl Streep in the Iron- uh, as Margaret Thatcher. Uh, Best Supporting Actor, uh, Christopher Plummer, in the movie Beginners. Uh, Best Supporting Actress was Octavia Spencer in The Help. I I also wanted to see that movie and missed it. Best Original Screenplay went to Woody Allen uh, for Midnight in Paris. Best Adapted Screenplay was The Descendants. Best Animated Feature, Rango. Hugo pulls in a bunch. Best Sound Mixing, Best Sound Editing, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Visual Effects, Best Film Editing. That was The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Uh, best makeup, the Iron Lady. Best costume design, the artist. Best song, ugh, I mean, <laughs> Brett McKenzie. I like the song was "Man or Muppet" from 2011's The Muppets. The best score was uh, Ludovic Borse, uh, the artist. In total, uh, five Oscars to the artist, five to Hugo, two to the Iron Lady. And this year is the big moment. We're going to count down the top ten movies of ten years ago of 2011. So. For those who aren't familiar with this format, we're just going to kind of go around in a circle. And if anybody has that movie higher, we're just going to tell people to wait. And then we'll talk about it whenever the highest ranked person comes up. We're going to count down, meaning we're going to start at our number 10 movies and work our way up to number one. We're going to give our guest, Andrew, the honor of going first. What was your number 10 movie of 2011, Andrew? Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Andrew, tell us why the Deathly Hallows Part 2 makes it for you. I was so hoping nobody else had. I love Harry Potter. I love the books, and let's give the actors in that movie their credit. As usual, they did an amazing job. The special effects are amazing. It is a rewatchable movie, which is one of the things that I value highly on this list. But the director of that movie had one job. All he needed to do was she wrote the script. It's a book called the Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows, and that's what we wanted to see filmed. We didn't need him making stuff up that didn't happen in the book. And that's why it also was so nearly made my worst movie. And I wanted to rant about it because the director just didn't need to add in stuff that wasn't in the book. A love-hate relationship. I, I like it. That, that starts off very passionate. Brian, can you top that? Although I don't hate the movie, uh, I am in the same boat Andrew's in. They should have been closer to the book for the Battle of Hogwarts. 
it was it was very disappointing. I, I think I tend to go away from the blockbusters when I, when I come to like my lists, but it, it, I've never rewatched it. I think I was such a huge fan of the books that the movies were always secondary. I, I think number four, right? Goblet of Fire is the only movie I really care about. I like that one. I, the other ones are just memories to me. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I, I was happier, I think, with this one than you guys, probably because I didn't read the books. I just watched the movies only. So I, I will tell you this. I, all, I am conflicted with any movie that takes their last book and cuts it in two. It inherently, it just breaks the flow. I'm, I'm not a big fan of breaking the movies in two. So stop doing that, Hollywood. I think we're, I think we're coming out of that, but I, I don't know who did it first. It might have been the Twilight series, but um, stop it. Stop it, Hollywood. All right. Brian, what's your number 10 movie on the year? Uh, my number 10 is going to be Water for Elephants. This was uh, basically Rob Pattinson's first chance at showing that he's more than Edward Cullen. And I was willing to watch and I wasn't disappointed. He and Reese Witherspoon had real uh, on-screen chemistry. Uh, Christoph Waltz is a big seller for me. So I thought at the very least I was going to enjoy a drama with Reese Witherspoon and Christoph Waltz. But anyway, it's a, it's a touching story. It has, uh, it's got great cinematography, the sets, the wardrobe is excellent. IMDb gives it just shy of a seven. Um, I definitely recommend it. I did not see that one. I totally fell off my radar. I, I, you make me want to see it though. Dustin. What's your number 10 movie? You might have heard me groan about the Oscar winner for the best song. But honestly, I have to do this. The Muppets from 2011 is my number 10 movie of that year. Is it The Muppets or The Muppets? And that is the question, isn't it? Uh, I am such a huge fan of so just Henson's Studios, uh, the Creature Workshop. Everything that they've ever done holds a soft spot in my heart, regardless of whether it's incredible like Muppet Treasure Island or terrible like Muppets in Space. I don't. How dare you? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm upset. I don't think the, 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 there's a weirdness about having a character who's portrayed by a Muppet who doesn't know if he is one or not. Now, this is where we're getting into like a level of thinking that is, I maybe never, hadn't ever been touched on before by the Muppets at all. It's only a couple years later that we get to the Happy Time Murders, where we have an actual R-rated Muppet movie. They decided, like, I guess starting in 2011, they're going to start doing some weirder stuff. But regardless of, like, the direction of the studios, you're still going to have 40 or 50 tiny little cameos of the biggest stars. Everybody wants to touch the gold that is the Muppets. Even though I didn't really particularly love that song, I love the story. I love the idea that they're trying their hardest to keep being entertaining for the American people. Nay, the world. So I can't leave a Muppet movie off of my list. I'm really glad that you got that in there. So I feel like that SNL parody about Weezer, when people start arguing and they're like, I didn't know anybody felt this passion about Weezer. That's how I felt <laughs> talking to you, hearing you talk about the Muppets right now, but for not just you. But then particularly when you said about Muppets in Space and they went, how dare you? And I'm going, oh, my God, I didn't even know that Muppets in Space was a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that, was very, that was a very mock how dare you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is something that I, I care very much about. And I will say it's not just the movie studios. It, it's Sesame Street is a, a treasure for our youth. 
and uh, every, everything about the direction of what the Muppets, not those shady Muppets, but everything that, 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 that stands for, it's just good, wholesome fun all the time. And maybe it's not the funniest or the most shocking, whatever, but it, but it just, they, they care about their audience, old and young. It touches my heart. I was going to say, I think the Muppets are really good at, maybe they're not like hilarious knee slapping funny, but what they do is they right. give you the feels at the same time with a little bit of humor. I think you're right. Like, it's one of those things that I'm impressed that I'm watching my son fall in love with them. Now he's only two. And so there's just this universal connection with him. And I loved it as a kid. And, you know, my parents liked it. It's yeah. just one of those multi-generational things that, yeah, I hope they never stop making Muppet movies. It did not make my top 10, but I'm really glad you put it on there. And if we have any kids listening to the podcast right now and they're like, yay, Muppets, have your parents show you Fraggle Rock. Okay. Yes, Hashtag definitely. Yes. Fraggle Rack Love. My number 10 movie, shifting direction to a different audience, is uh, Hall Pass, which was a Fairly Brothers movie. As all Fairly Brothers movies are a very off-color movie, and it features two guys being told that they can have the week to have a no-questions week off from their marriage. It's funny to watch these guys who talk a big game all of a sudden being set out in the quote-unquote wild of the dating world. They are all of a sudden very nervous and they're like deer in headlights and it's very funny to watch them flounder in that the very situation is a preposterous situation who's in that it's got jason sudeikis owen wilson as well as jenna fisher and i'm oh, sorry christine applegate was the other how low was the like rotten tomato reception it's five yeah 5.8 on, on on um when i was looking for worst movies i came across a list and that movie was on the list on somebody's list of like the 10 worst movies and I'm pretty sure I've seen it, and I didn't have it that low, but it certainly wouldn't have made my oh, top ten. I, I, so I, I was yeah, just trying to I remember. Just, it, it hits a lot of the right notes for me. So I'm I'm aware that it's not rated highly, but I have had such a good time with it. So Andrew, start us off with the number nine round. Thor. I am four. No, Thor. No, no, not that one. Thor. Oh, he said. Thor. Thor. Yes, thank you. I am number Thor. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, that guy's got like a hammer and there's something with lightning involved. Maybe you've seen a movie or two involving him in the past. I heard, I heard, I heard for point break. I was like, there's a movie nine. (laughs) Um, Andrew, tell us why you liked Thor. When we did our list of the Marvel movies, Thor was towards the bottom. And I still think that of the Marvel movies, Thor is towards the bottom. But when this movie came out, it was huge for 2011. This movie was did so much. And honestly, at the time, we were all okay with the weird old British, you know, like Shakespearean style accents that they all talked about. And that then over time, Thor just, we just, it just went away. Like it was totally fine. What was so great is they got an actor that could play the role and really do it. And they did a lot of things that really set up all these movies that we love. And when you rewatch it, there's things that aren't fantastic about it. The most important things are we got Thor and Loki. I think Thor was the one that Marvel finally couldn't be stopped. Like Thor was not like a guaranteed to work title. Thor was a comic book and it was successful in its own time, but it had certainly fallen out of the public eye. And I wasn't even excited to go in to see it. And I came out of there going like, hey, Thor's pretty cool. You're right, Andrew. I think Thor was one of those big steps forward for the whole MCU. Right. I know, I know you had it lower on the half of your countdown when we counted down the best Marvel movies on the cinematic universe on our podcast episode earlier. Andrew's absolutely right, though. At the time, we didn't find 
any of that because we're getting another Marvel movie. You know, nothing was written in stone yet. We were counting on the success of each individual film to bolster the need for a next one. And all we ever wanted was the next one. And I, I think I went through something like 2,800 movies for 2011. And I was like, oh, there's just too many good ones for me to have Thor up there. Yeah. It's an honorable mention for yeah. me. Dustin, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think the, the thing that stood out while listening to you know why it was on your list is that Chris Hemsworth has made me care about Thor. I didn't care about Thor beforehand. And I'm not, I'm not like an old head with comic books. I mean, I have some cred, like, you know, Infinity Crisis. Like, I, I read about Thanos' quest decades ago. And so seeing it, seeing what that turned into in film was great. But, like, I would say with Hiddleston and Loki, Hemsworth and Thor, and Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man, I didn't care about those characters at all until these actors portrayed them. And now they're iconic. You, I almost can't pull them away. The older Thor with the long hair, I'm really digging this like short hair eye patched Thor right now. And uh, it's thanks to these actors' credit, I would have to say. Yeah. Dustin, what was your number at nine movie? Coming in at number nine in 2011 is The Raid, or in uh, America, The Raid Redemption. I don't know this movie. Tell me about it. If I really had to pick, I would say Kung Fu is my favorite genre wow. movie. And I think most people would say the best Kung Fu movie out of 2011 is The Raid Redemption. It was released under a different title in the States. It's The Raid with, with, the, with the subtitle on it. Story is essentially irrelevant. You don't care about the story. There's so much awesome fighting, uh, both with firearms and then with machetes and then just hand-to-hand scenes that last multiple multiple minutes of just it would be impossible not to like like you're almost like trying to catch your breath in these these scenes honestly and I'll I'll say it now with with my first two my number 10 and my number 9 there might have been other movies that I enjoyed more from that time but I needed to get a kung fu movie on my list and if you're in the mood this is an incredible one I'm intrigued Dustin you made me want to change my answer from movie I haven't seen from 2011 from Midnight in Paris to the raid to the yeah. raid. You're like I, at a certain point, I almost wanted to say when you, once you've sold, stop selling. <laughs> I'm selling past the close. Yeah. <laughs> Fry, what's your number nine movie from 2011? Uh, my number nine movie is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. What a fun name. I've got it higher. Okay, but we're going to wait and talk about that one. My number nine movie is going to be Super 8. So this is not a motel chain. This is a movie about some amateur young filmmakers, some supernatural play at hand. I believe that this greatly informed the uh, Stranger Things television series. It is wonderfully, it's not as much of a nostalgia piece as that is, but it is still set in the past. It is set at a time when you had a handheld camera with film. And to watch these young people put together a movie for themselves, man, I wish I could have done that as a kid. I wish I had just this network of people who wanted to sit there and make a schlocky, like, homemade movie. And it was so fun to watch them do this. And then obviously, just like Stranger Things, there's, there's monsters in, in the world, and they come across it. It's the joy of film plus the science fiction action of it. Like, I remember when Super 8 came out, and they were trying to tie it in with uh, Cloverfield. Was there ever any, like admitted connection with the two i don't think so i feel like cloverfield's heavier there's there's a lot more humor 
and Super 8. So moving on to our number eight round. Andrew, kick us off. What is your number eight movie from 2011? I mean, we know what season's coming up. Christmas? Exactly. A very Harold and Kumar Christmas. <gasps> this wasn't my next movie to see on my list of like movies I needed to see, but this was the next movie past that movie. I really wanted to see this one. Well, first off, Harold and Kumar is a franchise that wasn't expected to have the success it did. It was a sleeper hit. And then it's fun. It's not, there's like the great thing about the, some comedy movies is they don't have to take themselves seriously. They can be ridiculous. In the first movie, we've got Neil Patrick Harris being just completely over the top ridiculous. And he did great. And his career very much got resurrected after that. And I think it's great that Harold and Kumar gave us a Christmas movie, because if you think about it, we don't really have that many great, fun, adult Christmas movies. There's Bad Santa, but that's very dark, whereas Harold and Kumar aren't dark. They're not trying to, like, mess people up. They don't have a bad outlook on life. They just want to get high and have fun. I didn't enjoy Guantanamo Bay, the second one, nearly as much as the White Castle adventure. And I think that's one of the reasons I just didn't get to it as quickly. But I still do want to see it. And I really love Carolyn Camargo at White Castle. There's some scenes really particularly regarding the Christmas tree that are really excellent. I don't want to give any spoilers because, like I said, it's almost Christmas time. So this is the one time a year where people would actually watch this movie. And that's the reason why it's so high on my list. With Christmas movies, there's a chance you're going to watch it at probably at least every other Christmas season because somebody's going to be like, oh, let's watch a Christmas movie. And you're going to be like... I can't stand It's a Wonderful Life more time. I know. Let's watch Harold and Kumar. <laughs> and take a little special Andrew and Dustin double dip here. Start with Harold and Kumar Christmas and then follow that up with a Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, that is a good one. <laughs> Buy me a double feature ticket for that. Dustin, what was your number nine movie? Horrible Bosses. I'm going to have you wait on that one. All right. Brian, what was your number eight movie? For my number eight, I went with Moneyball. I went higher. And we will wait. All right. My number eight movie was Hugo. Hugo is the least Martin Scorsese movie Martin Scorsese ever made. It's wonderfully fun. It's heartwarming. And uh, these are not things that you think of when you think of Martin Scorsese. It's, it's a surprisingly fantasy. Uh, there's, there's, uh, when you watch the trailer, it says so very little about what's, what it is. Uh, the imagery kind of compelled me and I got into it. But there's a reason they can't tell you too much. And I can't tell you too much either. But I will tell you. The same way that Super 8 had like the love of film in it, there is the early, early days of the very first moments in film and that magic that came out of that time period as well as just the process. It's not a literal historical retelling of that. So it's a highly fictionalized, fun adventure done through there. And some really good young actors are in this as well. So Chloe Grace Moretz and Aja Butterfield. You know, you might be the only person I know that's ever watched Hugo. Um, <laughs> I missed yeah, it. Yeah, I don't. I watched all the Best Picture nominees for this year, so uh, I, I, I don't. I won't have that happen most years, but I did watch them all in 2011. So uh, um, it's it's deserving of its nomination for Best Picture, I think. So I will see it. I couldn't cram it in to prepare for this episode, but I will see it because I've heard so many good things about it. The hard thing for me is I can't hear the name Hugo without uh, following it with Stieglitz. <laughs> yeah, Andrew. Give us your number seven movie. Bridesmaids. I'm going to have you wait on that one. Glad you mentioned that. Now, Dustin, what's your number seven movie? The Descendants. Oh, I just watched this one like two or three days ago. Uh, anybody else have this one? 
I have it as an honorable mention. Okay, Dustin, lead us off. Tell us what you thought about The Descendant. I like a movie where there's an adventure, and I also like a movie where there's just sort of an occurrence. Just, things just kind of casually happen. I also like looking at an incredulous George Clooney. Now, I like him suave and, like, in control, but I also like him when he's kind of freaking out, and it, like, doesn't, like, gets off the hinges a little bit. And I first saw this in Burn After Reading, but uh, in The Descendants, uh, he's put in some difficult position. Like the back of a and- Volkswagen? <laughs> cool uh, so, yeah this this is something that i think it w- is hard to recommend because it's it's one it's something that there's not a, a particular part of it that's like oh wait for this scene or this is the feel i get um it takes place in hawaii it does he is extremely wealthy in it that's something that it's all it's hard to i, I know that they say that some stories can be told the same way whether you have no money or whether you have all the money but so sometimes that gets in the way of enjoying things. But the 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 particular way that this little family gets through the ordeal that it's going through, there's some heartbreaking stuff, and there's some just unexpected fun or little gems of knowledge or wisdom. You don't know where they're coming from. It was something that I only watched because it was highly rated, and uh, I it made its way onto my list. So I, I think it's pretty good. It's not a spoiler because this is. In the preview, it's the very first thing that happens. I'm going to just mention that it's a heavy movie because it, the movie starts off with George Clooney's wife being on a kind of a life support system. And uh, the, that stress that the family's going through is really tough. And obviously, he uncovers a huge amount of dysfunction in his marriage and his, his parenting and his, his extended family. It, it is very compelling. And it's one of those things where... Even once I've said all those things, I'm just like, man, that doesn't sound like a movie I would want to see. Somehow the characters really do suck you in, and there's there's something really nice about watching them keep it together. Having said that, it is one of those movies I'd have to give people a disclaimer of just like, you need to be in the right mood going into this. Like, you know, be prepared to, to deal with some stuff that this movie's going to throw your way. Brian, what was your number seven movie? Sucker Punch. Wow. So this is the. Yeah, yeah. So Dustin mentioned this as being one of the ones that he didn't enjoy. Tell us why you enjoyed it, Brian. So most of the soundtrack was done by uh, Emily Browning, and she did a phenomenal job. I've also read the graphic novel, so that helps a lot. I love the idea behind this movie. The execution I thought was done very well to keep to the source material. And also, Emily Browning uh, specifically uh, not only starred in the movie, but had so much to do with the soundtrack. Like she recorded so much the music that you actually hear in the the, the vocalist uh, for a lot of this movie too, specifically uh, Sweet Dreams. So really the thing about Sucker Punch is the plot of the movie is super interesting to me because it's about a young girl who's sent to a mental health facility and all of these segments that they film that are cinematographically compelling are her brain dealing with the horrible things that are happening in this institution. And I just thought that at the time I had never seen a movie that used this formula. Now, granted it's coming from source material, but they have, they hadn't really broached it in this way. And I thought it was super cool. Honestly, I felt like it was a more serious Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Like it's a prettier, like it, like it's like entering video game type, uh, references and it is uh, it's a pretty movie to see visually. I think the plot 
idea is great. I just think that it's a little convoluted and it doesn't go together as well as it wants to. And that's that's the thing that held it back for me. But I mean, it's it's eye candy for sure. Well, not 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 arguing it out or anything, but I mean, the plot of this is way darker than Scott Pilgrim. I mean, no, but I'm just saying all the video game references drifting into fight sequences and stuff. But yes, it is darker than Scott Pilgrim versus. I don't think they're specifically going into video games per se. They're going into other worldly events that are happening in and around the time uh, where she's being committed. So I thought those were just file video games they were getting inserted into, but. Uh... No, I mean, obviously the, the samurai sequence is going to be an earlier thing, but World War secret se- sequences were, you know, ballpark time frame. Yeah, I, I think it would be important for me to say it. Let it never be said that I would want to stand in the way of someone's enjoyment of something. And I think, I think the way that Fry just described it is a really cool take on the movie. That being said, it's also you will meet people in your life that don't like red wines or sushi or pork ribs. And then you can meet someone who loves those things and will tell you about how much they like them. And I love to hear that. People that don't like red wine, you're friends with these people? <laughs> well, they're, they're just memories now. <laughs> I went out on a limb for Hall Pass being a 5.8 on IMDb. This is a 6.0 on IMDb, so... You know, I love it. That's like, it's about whatever connects for you. So I'm going to finish up the number seven round with The Artist, which is the movie that won the Oscar for Best Winner this year. And it's a silent movie made in 2011. It's a black and white film, and it's set in the, in, at the advent of talkies coming into play. So the silent film is transitioning to, you know, talking movies. And it sounds like the plot of Singing in the Rain, but it's handled very, very, very differently. It's obviously not a musical. It's a silent movie. but this movie is just dripping with nostalgia, charm, and it's well-performed. And when an actor does, especially in today's times, have to remove the spoken word, uh, it is an interesting moment in cinema where you just don't get this very often, as well as the story is just kind of very touching as well. So it gave me the feel-goods, and it did something that I just didn't see anybody doing at this point. And I was surprised that it came away with Best Picture, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see it get that. Anybody else see this one? Yes, I've seen the movie. Um, it's it's good. It I, it didn't make it because it had zero rewatchability for me. I mean, it's one of those. Cool. Thanks. All right, we're on to the number six round. Andrew, start us off. Kill the Irishman. Oh, good pick. I'm glad this made somebody's list. Yeah, Andrew, tell us. Okay, so uh, I've been Detroit, somewhere in the Midwest. You know, those larger cities in the Midwest in the 70s. He starts off kind of working with the mafia. He's a smart incredibly athletic dude he kind of tells the mafia eh, f you and they try to kill him a lot it's a true story they tried to kill him like 12 13 times and this dude just is like he just won't die once you find out that it's like actually based on true events i'm sure there's some embellishment but a lot of it is actually what happened the mafia tried to kill this guy like 13 times they just wouldn't die. Sounds like Kenny from South Park. <laughs> so uh, this is a movie I picked up or watched on, I think, Amazon Prime or something. And it was just because I was bored and I like the title. It's one of those highly entertaining movies. But again, one of those ones that I totally understood either didn't go to theaters or was a very limited release. As far as compelling goes, I mean, it's a great enter- entertainment watch, but it just didn't make my list because it was 
I don't know, it was just kind of one of those things I caught like on the back end. And I was happy that it was on Andrew's list because I was like, eh, I thought about it, but I was like, eh. Dustin, what is your number six movie? This is an odd one for me to say because it, it, this is where I put Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Did anyone else have it higher? No. Oh, no, 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 higher. Uh, but, but what I want to do is I, I kind of want to turn it over because I enjoyed the movie so much and I was sucked into the world, but I watched it a decade ago. I can't tell you what happens in it. <laughs> Not at all. So whoever else had it on the list, if they wanted to expand on it, I just know that I was so enveloped at the moment that I was like, I can't ha- not have it on the list. It was, it, it, and I, I, I can't wait to watch it again. Okay, so, so a couple things I want to say on this. First, I've talked on the Bond movies before, I think, uh, about how Jean Le Carré uh, writes espionage books. He was a spy. He, he writes legit, this is how espionage really looks books. And Tinker Tailor is the best one of all of them. It was hands down my favorite adaptation. Uh, the cast uh, with Oldman, Colin Firth, Tom Hardy, Mark Strong, John Hurt. We got the guy who directed Let the Right One In, which is funny because, I mean, you know, this guy just did a, a successful horror movie. And then he pops into this and he has that Cold War European vibe down to a T. And the movie just hits. I, I, I love it. It's that it is a slow burn. It's not going to give you that Bond action vibe, but it's going to give you a realistic look of how this rolls. And it seemed like it when you watched. Yeah, I was just I was just enthralled by it. I, I did see this one. I went to the theaters to see this one, and um, I don't I don't speak of it of it as highly as you guys. I did not really enjoy this one very much, so I, I won't go into it too much. But uh, this one was a miss for me. Brian, what was your number six movie? It is uh, a hobo with a shotgun. One of <laughs> Ruger Howard's Ruger last Howard. <laughs> I, I, Dude, I love this movie so much, and it's shameless, and it's fine. I can take it. That It, <laughs> it, it was a spawn of the death proof, uh, I don't even know what you call them, fake trailers. Yeah. And it, I just... I loved it so much. I'm happy it got made. I'm happy it was somewhat successful, really, as a kind of a cult following. And Ruger Howard, I mean, just any time. Let's go. Okay. Well, sometimes the name says it all. Hobo with a shotgun. Uh, in my number six movie, this is a movie that Dustin actually recommended to me. I didn't necessarily have a lot of intentions of seeing it. It's Crazy Stupid Love. And and it it was enough to get onto your top ten. Yeah, yeah. So crazy stupid love is it is more than just a kind of a rom com, if you will. It's an interesting story about a failed marriage where a guy has to put piece his life back together, seemingly. But there's so much more connectivity to this. You know, he doesn't live in a small town or anything like that. But it just it's amazing how the world around him all starts to connect into itself. And uh, it's really fun to watch uh, these characters better themselves by rubbing off against each other. It's very funny. And the situations start to connect in very rewarding ways. And I love Steve Carell. I think he, he does, he's really good at these movies where there's humor, but there's also drama. And few people do that as well as he does. And Ryan Gosling's excellent in this. Julianne Moore, I always love her. She's great in this. And Emma Stone, too. I mean, it's... The right people are involved with this to make this work, and 
I loved this, and yeah, I came out of this one um, way, way exceeded my expectations. So I had a very good time with this one. It's fun. <clears throat> yeah, I, and and I've watched it, uh, not recently, but I've rewatched it again. Like uh, this, th- I wanted the little connections again. And like there, I think there's versions of me throughout my life that would dislike Ryan Gosling's character, for instance. Or um, if you were given, I think this is the the second movie in any of our lists where like we have a a a marriage on the rocks, or we're dealing with a divorce, and it's like that doesn't sound very fun. But uh, handling these situations or um, whatever story is to be told there, they're pretty cool. So yeah, I'm glad that you dug it. It goes dark, but it it picks you up too. this is actually a Ryan Gosling year. I have two movies of his on my top ten. Ooh, that's a tease. All right, number five round. Andrew, kick us off here, man. X-Men First Class. Ooh, this movie's first class for Andrew. Anybody else? Honorable mention number one. Yeah. Andrew, tell us about why you love X-Men First Class. One of the great things about you guys doing this is movies have changed so much in the last decade. When the mid-2000s, we were so excited to have multiple X-Men movies. We were so happy that this was a thing, that we were getting actual decent comic book movies. I know the feeling you're talking about. Now, with the MCU, how we used to feel about X-Men isn't the, how we feel now. But when X-Men First Class came out, I watched that movie. I've probably seen it like eight times since total. The number of times when like somebody's like, oh, I actually haven't seen that. And I'm like, oh, well, then you should. And we pop it in. Do I think that like of all the X-Men movies, it's the best? Probably not. Do I think compared to the very best MCU movies that it's up there? Heck no. Do I think that if it weren't for the X-Men franchise, we wouldn't have the MCU today? Yes, and then I just love the X-Men characters, you know? I love the X-Men characters. So unless the movie is, which I still haven't seen the Dark Phoenix one that came out, so that tells you how bad I think that everybody told me that one was. Outside of that, I would probably watch any X-Men movie and would probably be rated in the 10 best movies of the year for me just because I love the character. Interesting. Brian, you've you've seen this one? Oh, definitely. Uh, First Class was a breath of fresh air for the X-Men franchise. Uh, They did a phenomenal job, the recasting for younger uh, Xavier uh, using McAvoy and uh, Fastbringer for Magneto was phenomenal. They could not have... The only thing that they've nailed better than that was Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart for the older versions. Which they did nail perfect. I mean, it's it's one of those things where watching it, I'm like, this is, this, is, uh, this is one of those connectivity pieces where at least Brian Singer can do one thing, and that's Professor X and Magneto. <laughs> and this, is, this hurts me because, listen, I'm a huge, huge Usual Suspects fan, but I didn't realize uh, that I could do better with the X-Men until after the MCU came out. I was the uh, beaten significant other. Um, so it was one of those things where once it came through, I was like, this, this movie is phenomenal. Um, I don't like where they're, where they interjected characters, uh, beast and professor X shouldn't be that close in age. I, I can't complain too much because they did a good job, but in terms of putting the pieces together for bigger, badder guys later, I thought it was a little off, but other than that, no complaints. 
I think the only, uh, and this isn't a complaint on my end, but the focus so much on Mystique slash Raven, something that seemingly not as important to me growing up with comics and then the incredible animated series, but that just always seemed like, hey, I'm down with Jennifer Lawrence, absolutely, but for for that character to matter so much to this particular um, take on X-Men seems a little bizarre to me. I don't buy in to, you know, re- repeatedly seeing her in, in these in, like super important roles. Um, she's 1000% integral to days of the future past. So knowing that that's what we're going for, that was the direction they were going. They were trying to character build to have her as more than just the person trying to assassinate a person that will call cause mutant extinction. So totally understand having seen where they went with it if you take it with just first class you're like what are they doing totally get that i think a large part of it simply has to do with and they're picking these storylines to suit the fact that they signed jennifer lawrence who is hot commodity at this point so i mean i do think she's getting more role than you might have anticipated see see, i i know i gotta disagree here if you actually look at what her freaking skill set is yeah, in terms of battle, do I want Sabretooth being the one who's fighting people over her? Of course I do. But that's not what they're typically doing. They're typically engaging in espionage. She is like so powerful in that, that way. She's got sense. so much abilities. Like you've got a group of people. So you've almost always got somebody who's got at least either super strength or they can shoot flame or, you know, you know, fire bullets really fast with the magnetic stuff, but the ability to look like any of your enemies and trick all of your enemies at any point, I'd be like, Hey, you're my number one draft pick. Yeah. Well, I thought it was a breath of fresh air as well. I actually did not like any of the first three X-Men movies. In fact, I was very unhappy with them. And this was the one that brought me back around to film X-Men. So Dustin, what was your number five movie? My number five movie was my number one movie asked to ever be a part of this show. It is, yes, The Adjustment Bureau uh, from 2011. Loved that movie. Uh, I actually didn't even rank it in term, or rate it as far as stars, like that high. Um, I just loved the idea. The execution of the idea uh, is only flawed because they over-explain. But for those who haven't seen it, Similar to how I was describing, like, in time. Like, oh, this is this is an idea I haven't thought of before. And when you come across those, sometimes they're incredible, blow you out of the water, like uh, The Matrix. And sometimes they're just, you know, a forgettable other idea. But this, the idea that there's some type of controlling government force that knows a plan and has some type of magical or technological resource to make it happen is very fun on the screen. Did you see this one, Ryan? Adjustment Bureau? I, I did. Uh, this was an enjoyable movie, but it, it didn't break any ground for me. It was, I, I think it was like a poor man's inception to me, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. okay. I can see yeah. that. Yeah. I was on this episode with Dustin, so if you want my full breakdown on it, uh, as well as Dustin's, they're, they're both available there. That was a good episode to start the year off with, and it was Dustin's first episode on the show, so. Yay! I had a lot of fun with this one, and I think it is thought-provoking, and uh, but also kind of whimsical and fun. 
is very creative. I'm glad you had it on your list because it's certainly worth mentioning. Brian, what's your number five movie? My number five is Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Wait on that. Whoa. My number five movie is Drive. Wait. Okay. And this will kick us the number four round. Andrew. Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Oh, I'm so happy somebody put this on there. I didn't make my I, list, but... I love Andrew's list, I man. like your list. Andrew's and, list rules. Andrew, you're like the cleanup man. You're like, you get all the movies, like, I was like, I want this in my top ten, but I don't have room for it. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I seriously couldn't agree with that more. You have so many movies I'm like, I want to talk about, but I, I just you couldn't put it where I wanted to put it. But Andrew, this is your pick. Tell us why you like it. When I was a freshman in high school, was when the Mission Impossible series kicked off. For then, when I'm 30, to have the series get reinvigorated with the was same really people. awesome. With yeah, with, with yeah, with, with the, the same. same. That, that was the best part. The best part was they took what was working and made it better. They truly made it better. I also like that we all know that Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible movies puts himself in amazing shape. He does a lot of his own stunts that are particularly involved some degree of rock climbing. Or running. He just runs so fast. So I really enjoyed the scene with the huge hotel in the UAE and Mm -hmm. him having to climb the wall with those special gloves and then the one glove starts failing. So then he's got to like try to do it one-handed. Like that whole scene is awesome. But honestly, the if, if you watch that movie, not that I want to like say don't watch the rest of it, the thing that makes it so great is the opening sequence. The opening sequence of them rescuing him from prison that he doesn't actually want to be rescued from is just fantastic. Uh, this is another franchise where Jeremy Reiner almost steals the show. Really? Um, his character... Well, his character, like, it's one of those things where I can almost see Tom Cruise being like, let's not make him too compelling. (laughs) The fact that he's in this and he's also in Born Legacy. So it's like Matt Damon's like, hey, keep your hands off mine, too, man. Like, he just keeps (laughs) like, hey, I'm here. I could do it, too. You guys like what you see? (laughs) You're you're going to be a bit player in this and you're funny. But you can also do action. I get that. But you find your own deal. As usual, Brian's love of Jeremy Renner and my opinion of him are very different. <laughs> very different. Uh, I, I just picked it up this year because of this was coming up and it was like a very high grossing movie. I honestly watched the first three Mission Impossible movies and just didn't feel any need to keep going with them. And so when they just kept cranking them out like Fast and Furious movies, I was just like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And then when I came to it, I was like, like Brian said, I was like, oh, they fixed the whole franchise. This is everything that it wasn't <laughs> before and that it needed to be. In fact, um, some of my frustrations with the Bond series, which I still love all the Bond movies in the Craig era, uh, this gives me some of the fantastical, off-the-wall, fun espionage fix that I need. So Kingsman and, and uh, Mission Impossible are kind of giving me what Bond is no longer giving me anymore. And uh, so I'm glad, I'm glad that I have both. And um, this was a lot of fun. There's so many fun stunts in it. So um, I love your pick, Andrew. Thank you. Dustin, what's your number four movie? Uh, This is where I have Moneyball. Tell us about it. I don't gravitate towards sports movies, though I think several of us here are are sportos. Mm -hmm. There are the classics that stand out. Uh, This isn't 
I don't know if you guys agree with the statement. Like, this isn't a sports movie. Like, a, it's a business movie. It's a business so. movie, yeah. And because of that, regardless of the strategy taken, which is also cool to kind of see put on film, you know, normally when you're looking at things like this, it's an ESPN 30 for 30. But I'm a huge Brad Pitt fan, and I thought that this story was very cool. I had it ranked higher, and I, and I actually recently rewatched it. I think it's great, but uh, I, I don't know. You guys also saw it. What, what, what do you have to say about it? So I read the book shortly after it came out. I uh, probably read that book like three times because I was getting my PhD in economics, and a lot of the guys were interested in sports. So that's a book that people want to discuss. It's not a sports book. It is a book about statistics. That's really what it is. It's about statistics. It's not even about business. It's really just about statistics and about understanding statistics differentiations in the sport of baseball. And the fact that they were able to make a successful movie about statistics regarding one specific sport is amazing. It is. And it was, and it was well received. Truly. Well, uh, the reason I liked it was it was Jonah Hill's first breach into dramatic comedy. There are so many comedy actors who don't either A, take a stab at it, or B, when they do, it's not a great script because they're not giving a chance, given a chance. And I thought Jonah Hill slayed this. I, I understand that he's comedic in a way in it, but it's one of those things where I appreciate guys really trying to make a move to change their perception and when they do and they're successful at it i just applaud that now that's a side note to the fact that, that movie was actually good too but yeah. uh that was one of the, the the leading factors of this being on my list i was like oh that's jonah hill saying i'm not just this guy he's not just the guy and accepted in a hot dog suit going around the campus going like have you seen my wiener have you seen my wiener you guys could just not tell anybody i screamed like that I'd really appreciate that. Sounds like a sexy hammer. <laughs> uh, Moneyball was a, a surprise on a lot of levels, and I think you guys have covered it well. And uh, it, it is fascinating, and you're right. It does seem like something you would see a documentary on, and to see it dramatized is rewarding. So I think it led to, I think it led to a few other movies, such as Draft Day, that came after this that were not done as well yes. as this. No, I actually really enjoyed Draft Day, too. <laughs> Vontae Mack, no matter what. But um, yeah, I, I, think, I think one of the reasons it was a nomination for Best Picture was because it was a movie that did something unexpected. We hadn't seen a sports movie or I guess a statistics movie quite like this before. So it gets a lot of originality points. Brian, what was your number four movie? Uh, I went with the Ides of March. on that. Oh, I wanted to see this one, but I didn't get to it. Tell me about it. All right. So, I mean, we've got Paul Giamatti, George Clooney, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Ryan Gosling in this. And it, listen, this is a, a year of Hoffman, Gosling. I mean, and Clooney. And you're going to see these guys like carpet bombing the entire year with awesomeness. Um, this is a political thriller. Uh, I enjoyed the heck out of this because of the kind of playoff of Gosling's younger character with Clooney's older. It was one of those thought-provoking movies that, you know, it brought up some stuff that I really hadn't thought about in terms of politics and how it brought it to the forefront, uh, almost in a way that I didn't want to think about it. I'm, I'm interested. I, I, uh, even the cover's interesting. I, I definitely look forward to seeing this one, especially with that cast. 
My number, my number four movie is The Help. Negative. Wanted to see it. Missed it. I read the book. Um, well, you get points for that, I think. Retro Book Roundtable will greatly appreciate your contributions on their show. <laughs> um, your Retro Book Roundtable. <laughs> um, I like how much that made Dustin laugh. It's making me smile. Retro Book. <laughs> like not let, me know, let me know as soon as you guys are ready to read a book a week. Retro Book Roundtable is awesome. Welcome all your lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Book Roundtable. <laughs> the Help is a really interesting movie. It's not a true story, but it's uh, it's set in a time, and I just the message is, I guess, one of those moments of history that needs to be told. And so it's um, perhaps a bit altruistic and a little bit naive and a little optimistic for the time period, but it's something that I like that what they're saying and the characters' performances are fantastic in this. I definitely totally get why Octavia Spencer got her Oscar in this one. It feels good, but also it uh, it's challenging at the same time. So Emma Stone, second time she made my list this year on this one, and she was great in this, and I loved it. So that's the help. I'm realizing nobody sees most of the movies I have on here. <laughs> Either that or we're going to be crowded at the top. It could be. No, yeah. Well, welcome to my world. Andrew, Andrew, let's start off the number three round with you. So regarding the thing you just said, outside of two movies, I'm pretty sure majority of people that watch movies have seen all of the movies on my list. And I yeah. think that it, like, yep. I, I, I am much more of a franchise guy here. Uh, Hangover Part 2. We all know that I care about rewatchability. I have probably rewatched The Hangover Part 2 five times in the last three years. Wow. It holds up. Because if you watch The Hangover, you're like, hey, we're going to Vegas next weekend. Let's watch The Hangover. You know what feels like a good idea the next day? Watching The Hangover Part 2. <laughs> I feel like it was vexed by just simply being attached to being a sequel to The Hangover, which was brilliant. Very well received. Just very, very popular movie. And it's tough for any comedy to fill the shoes of something like that. So I feel like there was a natural letdown that everybody had. And I'm curious if I went back to it, because I haven't since it came out. Ah, uh, like, that's it. That's the problem. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm curious if I went back to it, would I have a better experience? Because I saw it in theaters. I was very, 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 very excited. And I kind of left with that like feeling of just like, eh. It, this room that seems really big as a child is not so big anymore. And um, I did the third one as well. And that's probably ruining the taste of my mouth for the second one even further because I just felt like this was diminishing returns. I also saw it in theaters and I was wasted drunk in Johnson City, Tennessee. And that's why I don't remember it. That's appropriate for this movie, though. I really dig like the, the franchise. I thought the first one was a triumph, but this one didn't make the list. I feel like that what you guys are missing about the beauty of The Hangover Part 2 is they've made this first movie in which they've set up a very specific mechanism of how the movie works, yeah, right? It's a formula. And they have to not only replicate it, but they have to replicate it in a way that, because it's Stu, you know, the one whose tooth goes missing in the first one, I'm forgetting the actor's name, and the second one is the one who's getting married, Yes, right? Yeah. He, in some spots, goes nutso. And at the end of the movie, when he has that moment with 
his soon-to-be wife's dad, and he's like, yeah, I go a little nuts. Me and my buddies, that's what we do. I love that. We, they like that they didn't like they actually gave him. You're talking about comedy actors getting a chance to so, show some emotion and depth. He actually does it. I think that Hangover Part Two is one of those movies that if you put it on, that people are like, huh, yeah, this is actually better than I remembered. So much rewatchability. Well, I actually really enjoyed two. Uh, three was a different story. Dustin, what was your number three movie? I wonder if my list is uh, going to overlap with Andrew's here. Uh, this is where I put Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows. Oh, I hate you so much. <laughs> I love this movie. Uh, watched it a dozen times. I think it's because I really, I'm really into Jude Law character. Really into Jared Harris's Moriarty. I know that it's not the same as the story. Uh, the, you have some of the classic settings. And, uh, the, the game of chess earlier introduced Sherlock Holmes' special type of bullet time clairvoyance is fun. Uh, and, and one of the things that makes those movies so fun. And then to see that Jared Harris's Moriarty also has it. Uh, it's, that's the mechanism that is fun in this. So yeah, the story is old, and we know it. But it's the visual storytelling of this franchise, which are there only two? Yes. I think there might just be two. Yeah, there's two in the there only needed to be one. <laughs> well, yeah, there's only one. No, no, these there's movies. Only one. Brian, Brian might have a, Brian may have a, a different opinion. Because yeah. you brought up the, about overlap. No. The reason why we don't have overlap here is, first off, when it comes to Sherlock Holmes, the start of great quality is Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. Who are these guys? Like fancy mice in London or something? I like that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. This You're killing that. me. They, 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 these were the Sherlock Holmes movies that were made in the uh, 40s and 50s. That's, yeah, that's a little too old. That's a little too retro for oh, me. Oh, Andrew. Andrew, I think, I think maybe you need to come on Retro Movie Roundtable with Dustin here. I have not only read all of the Sherlock Holmes books. I've also watched all of the Nigel Bruce and Basil Rathbone movies. I've watched these movies and... While I love Robert Downey Jr., he doesn't compare to Benedict Cumberbatch being Sherlock on the BBC show Sherlock, which are pretty much movies since they're an hour and a half episodes. I love Robert Downey Jr. I love where your heart's at, but it can't make the top ten. I would say that the attempt with these two movies was the equivalent of the 2011 Three Musketeers. Oh! It's a a ham-handed over action oriented version of what should be a more it's, subtle enterprise. Wow. It's 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 ten percent too much wild wild west. Well it, let it, me uh, uh, let me it, let me uh, say actually this, that, that's a great comparison. Let me say this because I, I really do like this movie and I, I've gone on the podcast to say that you know you can like a bad movie. You can dislike a good I'm not I'm not here I, I'm not here putting this on a pedestal. But what I will Do you say like is, a bad movie right now. <laughs> I like that he. I like that he's pursuing. It has a higher rating online. Like IMDb gives us like a seven point five, and that's higher than some of the other ones that you know the three of us have gone to bat for. So I mean, I'm actually going to come to Dustin's aid a little bit. I didn't like this one as much as uh, as he did, but I mean, I don't hate it as much as Andrew and Brian. Like it's it's fine. I came to cope with it in the first one because I didn't want to see the first one because I was just like, what's all this like fighting and like you know you right. know like 
slow-mo stuff. And like, I was like, this is not Sherlock Holmes. I'm not doing that. And that's, oh, that's the point, Russell. This is not Sherlock Holmes. And then later on, I came back and watched it. And I was just like, you know what? I had fun. I don't think that they should have named it Sherlock Holmes and Watson, but... Uh, yes, that's it. That's it. That, I, I'm with you there. If this wasn't Sherlock Holmes, these guys wouldn't be upset. This would be a fun movie about another detective with a doctor friend. Yes. That's what their problem is. I think the sequel is competent. The first one's even more enjoyable, I think. I went in very skeptical, and I think, I think it carries the baggage of being a great literary character. The movie's fun. You do need to separate it of the source material, I think, is the only thing that I'll say. Just so we're clear, I do not hate this movie. I think I have, let's see, one, two, three, four. I have five honorable mentions, and it would have been 16th. Okay. And that's Whoa. legitimate, because, I mean, this is a really good year. So it's, so it's a top 16 movie for me. It's not exactly like, it's not like I'm, you know, trying to stab it to the death. It just didn't make my top 10. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I wish I, I shouldn't. I, I, I did hold this back. Like when uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy came out, I was like, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, I had ranked it my number 78th movie on the year of the movies that I saw. Hey, we need. No, that's the type of, like, audience wants to hear that you had that shit 78, that you think so little of their opinions. They need to know that. <laughs> I hated it. I was so bored. I missed it. What was seventy? Uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. <laughs> it's, so it's it's your A team. You got A team, then Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Man, I don't see seventy eight movies a decade. Like it's 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 not good to be in a theater and look down at your watch and be like, dang it, this is movie over in a theater. <laughs> so Brian, what's your number three movie? My number three is Hannah. Honorable mention. You showed this movie to me. Uh, you introduced me to it. I love this movie. Love the book. Uh, it is uh, the Chemical Brothers do an insanely amazing soundtrack for this. Uh, the cast is good. This is another uh, pseudo espionage thing about a basically a proto child being whisked away from a government program only to become better than all of her, you know, peers. Oh, gosh, this movie was so cool. When Prime did a, a TV show for it, I was just like, yep, I'm happy this is happening. The cast was amazing. You had Kate. You got um, Saoirse Ronan. Bannon. This was the, my introduction to her. Uh, yeah. I avoid her name because I butcher it every time. Thank you, Russ. <laughs> Tom Hollander is actually my MVP on this, is The Other Side's Assassin. It's a great movie. It's such a great movie, directed by the same guy that did Darkest Hour and Atonement. What else is shown in Robin in? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Dustin brings another thing to this podcast that we were missing. Just like Mission Impossible was missing so many things, Dustin. Dustin fills in this gap. <laughs> with, it's like with Dustin. You're... It is. It is. <laughs> I mean, like when we got to the artist actors, he actually pronounced them all beautifully well. It's just like, good, good for you. I didn't want to do that. And uh, then, then we get down here and he. Oh, is that why you gave me that part? So that I could say like Dujardin? <laughs> Dujardin Poupon. Um, um, sorry, French audience and Canadian French audience. Basically, anyone who finds us. Trust me, I, I promise you, I will swing things back for the French audience in a very positive direction before this podcast is over. Ooh, oh, okay. Yes, and if that doesn't do it, I will give you some delicious French fries, one of your nation's greatest foods. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> All right, 
we're way off the rails now. <laughs> I saw Hannah as well, and uh, Fry introduced me to it, and his enthusiasm rubbed off on me. I liked it. It is a great movie. It's aesthetically well done. I think it definitely piggybacks off of the Bourne series, spawned so many imitators. This is one of them, and I think it's one of the better one of them. So if Jason Bourne were a teenage girl, you're, you get this movie. All right, so my number three movie uh, it was mentioned earlier by Dustin, Horrible Bosses. I love Horrible Bosses. It's just an unexpected trio of Charlie Day, Jason Sudeikis, and Jason Bateman. The notion of wanting to kill your terrible boss is something really hilarious about that. And again, in the same way that Hall Pass was funny to watch these inept people, again, Jason Sudeikis was in that movie as, as well, uh, trying to do something and being so terrible at it. When you really stop and think about it, like how ill-equipped you would be to try and murder somebody <laughs> i mean it would go so terribly like you'd be nervous you'd be you'd be totally out of your element and that's what this movie is and it's actually a, a comedic situation that they just mine tons of gold and the performances are what elevates it so the, the premise is good but the performances and the chemistry of the main three are great as well as the horrible bosses performances are good particularly jennifer anderson doing something you never saw her doing but i mean kevin spacey was amazing I'll, I'll watch her do anything horrible bosses fun time dustin yes uh very much mirror a lot of what you said uh i will say with 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 these guys and that is with our current 2021 sitch with like ted lasso being a huge deal i, I think there was a time with with sue dacus where it was like when's he gonna make that leap and it comes 10 years later but like you know he he he's great charlie day has had some film success aside from you know his the thing that brought him into the 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 light with Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and then Bateman has bounced around. He's he's a leading man that I don't know for some reason. I, I I bet you would call him a star, at least a household name. But I don't know if everybody's you know Arrested Development like background. But like the, Ozark, these, these guys and and Ozark, Teen Wolf too. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Essentially, these guys are great. Toss in a little Jamie Foxx. All, all the stuff about this, this movie came together so unexpectedly and fun. A, a buddy of mine said, that movie is fun. Yeah, I can't. Usually with comedies, like comedies that are great, like with your buddies, like you quote them. You quote them all the time. And I can't think of a single quote from Horrible Bosses, but I still hold it in such high regard. So yeah, but it's it's just uh maybe it was because I was so surprised that this comedy landed on my top ten. Andrew, I thought this movie was going to end up making my top ten. Uh, one of the things I do with some of my friends, we'll all get together, hang out, and then the next day we'll all just kind of be slowly chilling, waking up, and somebody will put a movie on, and it's always comedies. And a lot of times, these are the first times I've seen some of these. I didn't see them when they came out. I didn't see Horrible Bosses when it first came out. This is how I saw it. And it's actually seen it three times there. So I know it's got some rewatchability. But it's what you just said about the quotes thing. There's just not that thing from Horrible Bosses for me where I'm like, oh, there's that one thing that grabs me. That's yeah. why I can't quite make my top ten. Whereas like with Bridesmaids. Oh, man. So it's like uh, you, you, don't, you don't find yourself saying, I want to bend her over a barrel and show her the 50 states. That's not a, that's, that's not a that's saying. That's not a saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is now. Actually, that's not. Wouldn't my quote. <laughs> okay, Russ. Life is a 
Life is a marathon. You can't plan a marathon without put a, putting a few band-aids on your nipple. <laughs> uh, Fry, this one doesn't seem like this one would be up your alley as much knowing your taste in movies. Did you see this one? I did. It wasn't terrible, but it also like it, it's got enough cringeworthy comedy that it's not my thing. It, it's almost like a hybrid of a movie I would like and a movie I would hate, which was weird for me because I was watching and I'm like, man, that's hilarious. Oh my God, please shoot me in the face right now. So the reason it doesn't make my list is because it was a very confusing bit for me in terms of the comedy they go for for the individual actors involved. I like the idea, though, and I also like the fact they actually go out on a limb and saying, look, you don't have to be a, you know, a male boss to be a sexual harasser. I mean, I appreciate that nod. They actually went out there and said, you know, like this person's being a predator without being a male. I mean, that just. And have it still be funny. Yeah, I will say this about horrible bosses. If you're going to talk about a top 10 list of movies from 2011 that people would actually remember something just based on the name. I think horrible bosses would make the list probably over, you know, kill the Irishman. Yeah, that's a good point. I think, I think people do like in, in general favor this movie. Let's start the number two round. We're getting close to the top. Andrew. I've almost been so worried that I somehow made a mistake on the date. The fact that it hasn't been mentioned. Captain America, the first adventure. <laughs> Honorable mention. Honorable mention. Uh, I have this one at number 35 on my list. I, I, I liked it, but it just there were other things I liked more. Wow. <laughs> they took something that we knew it was happening. We clearly could tell by the title that we'd already had the Iron Man. Eh, the Hulk had kind of failed, but we had already heard the rumors that they were going to switch out Edward Norton for somebody else. Thor was a success. We know where they're going with this. They need to introduce Captain America. Instead of giving us 15 minutes of how Captain America got to here, they gave us hours. They gave us his entire backstory. And they gave us five minutes of how he got to here, which I love. I loved that they didn't spend five minutes on his backstory and then move us along that they actually gave us this great rich backstory that involves tony stark's father it the winter soldier red skull all of these things that end up being swung back around like so many things in the mcu that matter but at the time i don't know all that all i want is a really compelling story where i'm gonna have fun and they tell a story we've heard so many times, World War II, in a different way. Because as soon as Captain America becomes badass, what's the first thing they do? They make fun of him. The soldiers, people he wants to be a part of, the whole reason why he did this whole thing. He's a joke in there. And that's not a normal, like the way they set that up, I, I, I love this movie. I actually just watched it again last night. That's a cool character trait. That, that's something I forgot about this movie. I, I did like that aspect. The idea that what they did with him and Bucky Barnes and setting it up, so much of the MCU is you know about these Infinity Stones, but to me, most of the story is really kind of about the two of their friendship and then with Tony Stark's friendship interweaving with Captain America's. And 
I, I just this movie is fantastic. It's so rewatchable. Oh no, I definitely have it as an armor mention. It's one of the better uh, Marvel movies in my in terms of standalone characters that really don't deal with any other characters. It's probably the best in terms of of just having the one off. I there are so many characters in this I like, but I I really gave a legitimate chance to superhero movies making this but there are movies here that are worth mentioning on a platform that are above the ones that get the platform anyway good does that point. make sense yeah I, I can see that i was conflicted with this one because i love the character of captain america i love his story and i love the first half of that movie problem was for me the back half lost its momentum and i didn't i felt like there was a bit of drag that happened in this one. So uh, Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier, is one of my favorite MCU movies, as we discussed on our uh, Marvel movie countdown. But for me, the first one was uh, a slow start for Captain, for me. <sighs> this is where we, you and I do not see eye to eye. I saw 86 movies from this year, so 35 is not bad. So, Dustin, what's your number two movie? I'm wondering if I'm the only one with this on the list. This is Roman Polanski's Carnage. I don't think I've heard of this movie. I don't have it on my list, but I've seen that movie. You've seen it? Carnage and the Descendants deal with some normal life stuff. Not uh, somebody becoming a super soldier. Just deal with some things about, like, real world. And this is based on a play, I think, called... It it translated from French, uh, like, The Day of Carnage. But, like, like, I can set the scene... You got Christoph Waltz from, from Kate Titanic. Winslet. Judy Foster's in it, I see. Yeah. John C. Jody Riley. Foster and John C. Riley. So you've got these two couples. Their kids get into a fight. And the two, the two couples, the responsible parents, meet and discuss how they're going to address this transgression. And what happens for the next hour and ten minutes is a social carnage. It is ripping apart the like the political correctness and politeness and manners the things that you say under your breath to your partner or the things that you think about someone when they say something a specific way is all laid out you have a real way of selling a movie i've never seen before i was gonna say i was gonna say limitless just went down got knocked down my queue i'm ready for this movie it's done (laughs) here's the bonus it's only an hour 19 so it doesn't even take that much of your day it's really great. And because it's based on a play, it's just the four principal actors in a room. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm signing me up for this. If you enjoyed that, you need to read Herman Koch's The Dinner. So, Brian, what is your number two movie? Cabin in the Woods. Hold off on that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he's immediately redeemed. <laughs> totally redeemed himself. <laughs> So you're telling me there's a chance. All right. Oh, I have this one liked as a 2012 movie because it got released in the U.S. in 2012. Really? Yeah. That's why it wasn't in my... I was going to say, I don't have this rank very high, so I hit control search to see where it was on my list. I was like, it's not there. How did I miss this? Yeah, it, it was released in film festivals at the, the Butt Numb Athon Film Festival on December in Austin, 20th Texas? of 2011. So I, I guess we'll let it go. It's fine. Especially since you guys... But yeah. I count this as a no, 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 no. I think we got disqualified both of their choices. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like my top. No, I'm kidding. Squished. 
So my number two movie is Bridesmaids, which was mentioned earlier. Does anybody have it? Early? I did. Yeah. Honorable mention. I had it at seven. Bridesmaids to me was brilliant writing, brilliant performances. Melissa McCarthy was uh, catapulted in her career. She was, she's amazing. This movie, Kristen Wiig, is so good at being funny, but also having feeling in her character. Really good comedies, I think, that, you know, I love comedies. It's my favorite genre. But when a comedy takes the characters and gets you such a well-constructed set of situations that you start to feel for them, too, and it's funny, there's something kind of powerful that is long-lasting. And it age, its age groups, I think, is a broader appeal than maybe just a younger male audience, which is what some, so many comedies are targeting. Bridesmaids is just really, really funny. Very quotable. Going in thinking I was going to like it based on the cast, but it exceeded all of my expectations. And I, I really wanted to say that I hated the dialogue that came after it. it was just like, can women be funny? And like, it's just like, yes, right. we, we knew that. Like, what a stupid question. Like this narrative that came up of like, will people go see a comedy movie starring all women? It's like, uh, stop even asking that question in the newspaper. It's a very, very funny movie. It takes away from the fact that this movie is awesome. So uh, on that, since I was the first person that brought it up, Growing up, the idea that women couldn't be funny was crazy to me because we watched Nick at Night and the I Love Lucy show and you understand history and you just watch like it's funny. Yeah. Like she's hilarious. I at the time until I'd watch, you know, got older and watched more comedy. I thought that Lucille Ball was basically like the funniest person that had ever existed. I didn't think that like, oh, women can't do comedy. I just grew up. I was like, oh, apparently the best comedian that's ever existed is a woman. I just thought that was like kind of fact. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the idea of that, like, can a, a raunchy comedy where women are actually being honest and how they interact with each other, not when they're trying to get dates at the bar. Right. Being honest. Is that going to be funny? Hell yes, it's going to be funny. It's going to be hilarious because the idea that only, like men have a monopoly on humor is ridiculous. Can we all agree that the the defecation scene, like when they all <laughs> is it, yeah, is this happening? Yeah, nope, pooping. just right here. It's amazingly good. All of the actresses swerve into the skit. They don't hold back. There's no like, oh, I'm going to. No, it's the full on. This is this is real life. I'm glad you had this on your list as well. I, this to me, really, I, I have a feeling Brian's going to be the dissenting opinion on this one. This does not seem like a your movie, Brian. Uh, no, my only issue with this, I'm not a Melissa McCarthy fan. I was put through uh, the ringer with just loving Gilmore Girls as much mm -hmm. as she did. And I, I have a a set against her only in the fact that I've been forced to watch thus that I do not like. I, I think it was a funny movie. I just, one of the things I wanted to mention earlier was on happy timers when she was cast for that. I was like, no, I want to see funny, like yeah, raunchy yeah. tunes, but I don't want to see him with her. I know I, I was going to bring it up see him with her. So I, 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 it's, it, it's her and it's not her fault. It is the fact that I've had to watch things that I didn't <laughs> want to watch with her. And I apologize to her and I apologize to the things I don't like with her because it is going to be an off limits thing for me. Wow. That hurts. 
that hurts me. That hurts me. I knew it was going to happen, though. So, uh, Dustin, what about you? Where, where, do you, where are you on this one? I thought it was... Uh, I, I have not rewatched this. I, I thought it was great the first time I saw it, uh, as far as, like, a you know, female-led cast. Uh, the more the merrier, man. I thought, I thought it was incredible. Did we have Ellie Kemper in that yeah, one Yeah, well? she's great in this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, and it every every little role filled. I I was I was excited to see it. I didn't need to be drugged to it. I said this is probably gonna rule, and it was great. Like it's seriously, it, it's humor that men often do, and the male audiences are applauded for. And then, like you said, that when women female comedians do it, the question is, will people find this funny? Well. I think women find it funny because it's women. So you're basically asking, will men find it funny that women are making the same jokes that we do? And it's it's crazy that anybody would think that there's that women aren't as funny as men. I, I just I don't get that. And I it's one of the reasons why that movie's so high for me is because it feels like it's the first time in like 20 years that there's been a comedy that was mainstream that women were funny and it wasn't like it was like oh this is acceptable and i'm like why isn't this always acceptable absolutely now this is the part where i'd like to go through the honorable mentions that haven't been mentioned on here so if anybody before we go and reveal our top movie what are some movies that just missed the cut for you andrew do you have a list of honorable mentions that you just want to throw out there warrior killer elite change up dilemma dustin what about you what are, what are some of your honorable mentions all six of them have been mentioned by y'all so that that made me happy that like we were in the realm bridesmaids crazy stupid love hannah thor x-men first class like the 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 superhero movies were in but they're just not close enough. got it and brian what about you what are some of your runner-ups x-men first class first avenger j edgar uh super eight and artist i had a lot of runner-ups of the ones that were not mentioned i had uh 50 50 midnight in paris the lincoln lawyer you're next paul and rango Time for the number one movie. Oh no, I, I I would like to go last here. Oh okay, okay, yeah. So, uh, Dustin, what's your number one movie? Surprise, surprise! It is The Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, yeah. So I, I as I mentioned before, I had this as a technicality as a 2012 movie, but you guys have it as a 2011 movie, and it was released somewhere. So, so Cabin in the Woods. Uh, uh it, it's my very first five star rating I ever gave on the show was to screen. Uh, because of its, in, in part due to its meta nature. And this just raised the bar even further. And I, I almost feel like because it's number one, I, I almost want to talk about it the least because I, I, I think it's so great. I'll actually just give you a caveat. I didn't like it nearly as much, but I had not seen Evil Dead before watching it. So watch Evil Dead before you watch it. It'll help you. Uh, yeah, it's Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford. Whitford, thank you. They're, they're the um, operators. They... The, the, once you see what they're doing, the rest, uh, you just kind of relax into a great time. It seems like a scary time. It's billed as a scary time, and you figure it out. Whoa, this is all of a sudden not just the top of my 2011 movie list. This is like broken through to the top 10 of my all-time movies list. I love what they do. This is probably the best horror satire that's ever been made. Oh. Um, it is like 
his his point to say what Richard Jenkins and Brad Bradley Whitford really do for this is <laughs> freaking huge. I uh, <laughs> I to this day I still like Jess saw this with me. Jess is my wife. It's one of those things where I still walk into a room and I'll pick up a book and I'll be like, who showed you these? And she goes, I learned it from watching you. (laughs) (laughs) Like it had me so early with that dark humor that I was like, I'm going to love this. And it was, it did not disappoint through the entire movie. It is the, it might be the best horror satire movie I've ever seen. I really should have gone before you, so we ended on a positive note. Yeah, so this one, to me, wasn't funny enough to be funny for me. It got caught in a really awkward spot. I think, really, people who are, like, horror nuts, obviously, connected with it, I think. I think it got caught in a really awkward spot of not being funny enough. Standing on its own enough, it relies so heavily on, sorry, relies so heavily on references to other things. And if you're not in the end club, um, or even if you are, it might not just be the sort of thing that works for you. So I, I don't, I actually did not particularly enjoy this one. And I, I gave it one and a half stars out of five. I can tell you right now, chat's not on this episode, but I know for a fact in any given year where that movie hits, it's probably his number one or two movie as well. So for all the listeners out there, apparently Cabin in the Woods is awesome. It's a very polarizing movie. You will find people who love it or hate it. Brian, what is your number one movie? My number one movie is Drive. All right. I had this one at my number five, but tell, tell the rest of the world why it's your number one movie. This was one of the best soundtracks of the year. The soundtrack was so freaking good. You got Ryan Gosling, Carrie Mulligan, Brian Cranston, Oscar Isaac, Christina Hendricks, Ron Perlman. Uh, you got the guy who uh, did Brosnan and Neon Demon directing it. This movie was so freaking good, and it's done with very little verbalization this is a very low key low talk movie yeah it's just cinemagraphic it is wonderfully shot and everything about it is just one of those like it's rewatchable too for that reason it is so good yep it's it's a mesmerizing movie it's just incredibly well made the cinematography as brian mentioned is top notch and there's, I would say there's almost this quality to it that we, we don't have as many Westerns being made today, but there's this mysterious nature of the main character that you don't get because of that Western genre is not around so much. It kind of feels like a Western in some ways like that. Drive is an interesting transformation for the, for the character. It's kind of like this kind of redemption for this very mysterious background to him. The situations that he's thrown into uh, escalate dramatically, and it's a very interesting character piece. Dustin, did you see Drive? Yeah, and you know, I I didn't have it in my honorable mention, but I did really like it. I wish I would have seen it in theaters, and I think if I have the opportunity to do it or to to get an awesome viewing, because it's about the viewing experience with this, uh, and and the listening experience. I agree with with Fry here. Like uh, incredible soundtrack. This is all vibes and feels. You don't need the dialogue. You you feel it with the revving of the engine. It's it's great. Uh, and there's, you know, there's some jokes that have been made. I know it's kind of a cultural icon, like his jacket, but like it, there's a feeling to it and, and there's a feeling to the whole movie. I really dig it. Yeah. Now, uh, Andrew, have you done Drive? Uh, I have seen Drive. I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure Drive's going to be in my top 10. 
uh, ended up being number 17 for me. And I'll be honest, my regret of re-watching a movie I've already seen for this list, that was my regret. Because I think that if I re-watch Drive, there's a chance that something could have else could have been knocked out of the top 10. So uh, my number one movie is Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, which Brian also had on his list as well. To me, it's a shame that they never made the second and third movies in the American production to go with this. And you have to relive those through the Swedish versions if you want to. This is just a really well-made movie. I mean, some people kind of cut it down for the fact that it was made off of a Swedish movie or was a remake of a Swedish movie very recently in its time period. But this is, this is really, really very good. Rooney Mara is just so good in the lead. And the story that Stig Larsson wrote is very, very, very good. And it com- it's translated very well to film. And the locations they shot are amazing. It's so tense. And you feel for this character in a way that really sucks you in. And this one has a complexity in the mystery that's being kind of worked through and unsolved or, or and uh, worked through on this one. And I still wish the Rooney Mara, Daniel Craig would get back together and finish this series off, even though I know it won't happen at this point. I 1000% agree with you. This movie was crazy good. I watched all three of the Swedish versions. I've read all of the books. This is a series that encapsulates the isolation of Scandinavia so well. And one of the things that I really appreciated about this was getting Reznor and Finch to do the soundtrack. So you've got Nine Inch Nails and company really putting in that 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 desolation feeling to this movie, which look, the 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 Swedish versions were great. I mean, or I'm sorry, I'm not sure who did them, but the Scandinavian versions were great. I really appreciated those. In fact, they gave a launch to a career that I've really appreciated off of that. But you referring to Numi Rapace? Yes. So this version was phenomenal too. Christopher Plummer, Stellan Skarsgård, Robin Wright. I mean, there's it's depth. It's not just Rumi Mara and Craig. Like they really cast this well, and you get a you get a director who is not only doing this well, but I mean, this is the guy who did Gone Girl, Zodiac 7, Social Network, Mindhunter. This is a guy who does killing well. So this is a very visceral movie. It, it, seriously, my, my top five are interchangeable, so I totally get it. The hype was too high. The buzz was too big. Uh, it was too big of a deal for me to deal with. So I was just like, nah, I'm cool, and I skipped it. We didn't put a disclaimer on it. I think probably everybody's warned you about this. You're, if you have a hard time with violence, there's one that, in this that is very hard to sit through. Having said that, the rest of the movie is amazing, and try and sit through it. I, I, it, is, it is a lot. There's 45 seconds of distastefully awful before the rest of the movie is amazing. Yeah. Oh, Andrew, did, have you seen Dragon Tattoo? Girl with Dragon Tattoo? I have. It's, again, it it's kind of like drive i've watched it for a movie like that i want to rewatch it and i haven't i feel like that if i had rewatched it there's a really good chance that it would be higher on my list i so andrew you you asked to go last what is your number one movie of 2011 my number one movie is limitless oh for real are you, are you for real like you're not messing with me i almost no. forgot about it so here's the thing so uh, yesterday my friend came over, Mark, that Fry knows, and we were going to see Eternals last night. 
I told him that we were doing this podcast and he was like, well, what are your top movies? And I said, number two is Captain America. And he's like, what's going to beat that? And he goes, hold on a second. He goes, Limitless. And I go, yes. And he goes, oh my God, that's the best movie of the year. So let's bring it back around for your French audience. Our friend Mark, his wife is French. And one of the things that she loves about this movie is that when Bradley Cooper the fries. speaks French in this movie, he speaks it perfectly to somebody who is from France, who actually speaks French. The tone, intonation, every single thing is 100% correct. Now, let's give a little plot backgrounds for those people who don't know what Limitless is. Essentially, there's a drug that opens your mind up and causes you to learn a lot faster if you decide to learn. And if you're smart, it works even better. So it's like a male Lucy. (laughs) Exactly. I like Lucy. (laughs) I love Lucy. The Yes! I, I, I love Lucy, too. We've already talked about how much I love Sorry. <laughs> Dead over here, man. Dead Limitless over here, man. is such an amazingly great movie. It's rewatchability. The process they show of Bradley Cooper having his brain be open to this drug and getting better, learning stuff faster. But it's not like, oh, life's perfect. You know? Yeah. Like, it, this movie is so rewatchable and so good. And Bradley Cooper kills it because he goes from playing somebody who's completely down on their luck to somebody who feels like they have the world at their fingertips to then how the conclusion ends. Can't do any spoilers, right? But the emotion that they show is great. Script writing is very succinct. It, you know, it moves it along. And there's so many people that I've talked to about this movie where I'm like, oh, have you seen Limitless? And they'll be like, oh my God, you love that movie too? Limitless is, to me, the best movie of 2011. And I honestly think that if you watch it with some other people, you get that positive vibe going on. All of you will. Brian, have you done this one? I have. I actually enjoyed this movie a lot, so I'm not trying to disagree in that. No, no, sense, you hate but, it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was one of those movies. I was like, "That's a cool idea," and it was a great. There actually is some some good cinematography on this, and and some interesting film technique that they use. I, I think the only reason it didn't make a list for me is when I watched it, and then I think I've I think I've watched it at least two or three times. I think it's just one of those movies that I'm like, oh, I'm in the mood for this kind of movie. And it 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 fits a hexagonal, you know, peg when I want that sort of movie. I mean, it's got some intellectual to it, but in the end, it's kind of an action, intellectual action movie. And I, I just, I guess I never took a step forward to say, oh, this is something game changing. Well, I need to see it. There you have it. That's in the books. Those are our number one movies on the year. We hope that you enjoyed this countdown, and uh, we always enjoy the show. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us once again for this. It was fun. Thanks for having me. I uh, really appreciate being back again. 
I love getting to talk about how we rank movies. To all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, we invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So if you have not done so yet, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Those subscriptions and reviews really help others find the show, and they're the lifeblood that keep us going. So give us a like on Facebook. We love to engage with you. Follow us at Twitter at, at movie underscore retro. And if uh, you want to engage with us deeper or we want to be on the show, retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com is a great way to reach us. And providing and producing this podcast is fun, but not free. So we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash retromovieroundtable. Any contributions you make will be much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? The concept of progress acts as a protective mechanism to shield us from the terrors of the future.